everyone. This is Janice Alpert. Welcome to On Purpose, where we find interesting people to talk to, and today is no exception, to find out how their journey came to be and how they found their purpose to hopefully lend some insight and inspiration. And today we have, do you want to, is your, I see your name was on your website, Erin Elizabeth Downing. Well, how do you like to be? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Erin mm-hmm. <laughs> is good? Yeah, Aaron's perfect. Thank you. Okay. So Aaron Elizabeth Downing is here. Hi, Aaron. Welcome. Hi. How are you? So I'm good. So nice to meet you and see you. Um, So as I said to you, when we talked a little bit right before we got on that, I read a little bit about you. But other than that, I really don't know anything about you. So can you share a little bit about where you grew up and how your what your family life was and yeah, of course. Um, so Erin Elizabeth Downing, um, it's a little confusing with the middle name, but my mom had always said that she wanted, ever since she was in middle school, that she knew she was going to have a daughter and she knew oh. she wanted to name her Erin Elizabeth. So when my mom passed, I started, especially when it comes to anything that is with my purpose, right? Mm-hmm. I go mm-hmm. by Erin Elizabeth Downing in honor of her. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that story. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I grew up in Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. I have, I'm an only child um, oh, okay. from a decently big family. My mom's side of the family has um, two sisters and a bunch of cousins. And okay. my, I grew up in the era where, you know, I had great grandparents in my life until I was, gosh, in college because they yeah, grew up right? Yeah. Great. I mean, your grandparents were great or actually great grandparents. Great. Actual great grandparents. So wow. My, um, in Virginia, my great grandparents were tobacco farmers. Um, yeah. And then they had children very long, young, as one does on the farm. Yes. Um, and then my nan and granddaddy met in high school. Mm-hmm. So they also got married super young. And then my mom actually married two weeks after her 18th birthday. Wow. So I was born in um, her early 20s. She had a couple miscarriages. Um, mm-hmm. but I was born in her early twenties. So I'm the oldest on both sides, um, from my mm-hmm. dad's side and my mom's and mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah. Like, did your dad's was, family live in the area as well or no? So my dad, um, my dad has one sister, my aunt Denise, who's actually the one that I am closest with. Um, okay. she, was a model. And so she moved over to Europe when she was really young and met my uncle and uh, my uncle Guido in Italy. So she has been... First of all, that's pretty brave as for that generation. Yeah. Totally. Or any generation, but that's pretty... Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I love her story about it because um, she and I have so many parallels in life, um, (laughs) to say the (laughs) least. But, you know, she kind of had a unique experience when she was modeling and uh, she went to New York first and then she was called to Seattle and then she got an opportunity to kind of just like, okay, pack your bags tomorrow and go to Italy. And she did. And she did it. And she's been there for the last, you know, 40 some years. And my met my uncle over there and I have two cousins. One lives in Paris and one lives in Modena. So she actually works at Ferrari. Um, really cool stuff. You so have I, quite a, that, first of all, I love Europe. I went to Italy on my honeymoon. <laughs> I love Italy in particular. We're, we're in yeah. Italy. Um, so they live right, right outside Milano. So mm-hmm. my, I have to say that I think one of the biggest things that influenced me when I yes. was younger was the fact that they used to come, um, for like, at least for the summers. And when, um, mm-hmm. I'm the oldest, my family on that side, my one cousin is five years younger than me. And then the next cousin is five years younger than him. Mm-hmm. So when my, my, the oldest of the two would come, 
you know, they would come for the month of December when he was really young and for the summers and, mm-hmm. you they know, say, my, stay with you. Exactly. So they oh. would live with us. So mm-hmm. even though I was, a, I was an only child, I was not an only child for no. They, you know, a couple months out of the year. And it was really beautiful because I grew up in a part of Virginia that it's essentially the the historic triangle, say Yorktown, mm-hmm. Williamsburg, Jamestown. Um, I grew up in Yorktown, Virginia. So if you were to go yeah. back there today, it kind of looks like a time warp. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. And a lot of that is because of, you know, like a historic register and make sure all of it looks right. the same. And what did your, what did your family, were your family tobacco farm, your dad and mom, I mean, what did they do or? No. So um, essentially my dad was an engineer. Um, He was a pastor actually for a while when I was Mm. younger. Um, My Nana was a seamstress and my granddaddy was a brick mason. And um, so pretty good working class individuals. Mm -hmm. And my, you know, it was really great because my uncle that, you know, from Italy Mm -hmm. is Jewish. So in that part of um, America, Virginia, there's not a lot of diversity, let's be honest. And so I grew up, you know, when they would come for the months of December that we would celebrate Hanukkah, we would celebrate Christmas, you know, my cousins and them would be there. And I love, I I love that as I am Jewish. So I just think that's so cool. I love that. It was super, it was really great because like, I didn't, you know, I wasn't born into that sort of prejudice because the only individuals that I knew that were Jewish, right, were my family that I loved more than anything else in the world. And then my mom's side of the family was Southern Baptist mm-hmm. and like super Southern Baptist. Like my Nana was the choir director. My granddaddy was the deacon. My dad was a pastor when I was really young right. for a while. But they were accepting of, of yeah, your- 100%. What yeah. if only the country in the world could be following <laughs> yes. the downing message here in the path, but love I'm, that. I'm, okay. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I didn't even know until I moved to New York that, that, that existed because let's be honest, it wasn't taught in my history. Right. Mm-hmm. I grew up nope. where America like won its independence, like yep. Yorktown, Williamsburg area. Yep. You were so, in the center of it. Are you kidding me? Totally. Mm-hmm. So Uh, My lens of American history was very small and very segregated. Let's Mm -hmm. let's be frank. Um, So I was aware of American history from that side of things, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't I wasn't aware of any honest prejudice against any other religions. Um, And it wasn't it wasn't until I moved to New York City. How How old were you when you moved to New York? 30. Oh, so okay. Yeah, I, yeah. Like the bulk of my life. Um, I is that where you live? Is that where you live now, or where? I I'm in San Francisco at the moment. Oh, you're in San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, so I, I just it. moved here. Um, for anyone who's wondering, we were just talking before. My house is literally full of boxes. <laughs> we're you literally from New York. From New York to San Francisco. I've been all over. So the trajectory oh. of my life is yes. is pretty interesting. Um, I here. Yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in Virginia and we talked about my, my diverse yep. background. I mean, I have to, just to put a bow on that, you know, my having family that was abroad cousins who spoke a different language, yes. who were born into a different family lineage than I yep. was, all of that just kind of seemed natural. So I grew up mm-hmm. traveling and they lived with us for multiple months out of the year. Right. So I have a lot in me, um, that has kind of that way of, of life, um, mm-hmm. just ingrained because my aunt was like a second mother to me, you know, both of my parents worked. And so she definitely raised me during the summers. And when I was younger around Christmas and the holidays, Hanukkah, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So immensely grateful for that experience in my life. And Mm -hmm. especially growing up in a place where, you know, I would tell you that the majority of my family and my, my mom's side still doesn't even have a passport. Right. So really, um, yeah, it's a very conservative stay at home, not big risk takers, which says even more though, about whatever you, wherever you have gotten yourself. Yes. Um, And high school also was just a, you know, regular kind of normal experience. And I mean, it's really interesting. Like when you think about the fact that I grew up in Yorktown, Virginia, I mean, it's, it's very segregated. I mean, Mm -hmm. my middle school used to be the black high school and I was very aware of that from a very young age. And there wasn't a lot of diversity, religion, race, or otherwise, you know, Mm -hmm. pretty much in the part of the world that I grew up, it was black and white and very little influence of anything else. And, um, you know, I went to school at Virginia Tech. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at the age too, where, so I just turned 40 and Mm -hmm. My I graduated high school in 2000. So okay. to put it, so to put some perspective on that, when I was in high school, there was essentially like instant message was starting to come up, and the internet okay. was starting to come okay. up. And we didn't have Facebook or any of that until it it started in 2004 in the spring at Harvard. I graduated mm-hmm. from college in 2004 from Virginia Tech for undergrad. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I just missed. I think that's where Mandy Patinkin went. Just saying, but go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I just missed that whole kind of mm-hmm. revolution in that way from at least a college experience. Like okay. I didn't even, we didn't even have like digital cameras, so to speak, you know? Right. So all of that documentation and all of that kind of influence, I'm I'm right on this weird teeter, like tether, like knife's edge intersection of when technology kind of took over everything and social media took over mm-hmm. everything. What, did you, what yeah. did you graduate in? My undergrads in interior design. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I is Virginia Tech is was an amazing experience, you know, having going to school at a school like Virginia Tech and in the middle of nowhere, let's be honest, you yes. get you get in this kind of beautiful bubble of mm-hmm. all these individuals who are, you know, going through the exact same stage of life as you. You know, I remember coming back home in Virginia over Thanksgiving and I went for the first time, like driving in my car and stopping at a stoplight and looking over whether it was to the right or to the left, but noticing that the individual next to me wasn't my same age and having this kind of awareness, like, oh, wow, I'm out of this bubble. Because Mm -hmm. when you're in, when you're in school, at least at a place like Virginia Tech, when I went there, it's really just you and the individuals going through that same Mm -hmm. stage of life. So not only is it a really beautiful community experience, because you're all experiencing it together, but especially when I went, you have the lack of outside influence because social media and all that hadn't really begun. Totally. totally. Um, do you remember, do you remember as far as picking into your design, was that something when you think of like, I've always been like, was that something inside that you, you sort of felt like, Oh, I have a passion for this, or this is something I love. I mean, like, how did you pick into your design? Was there like a little inner calling or was it just, yeah, I like, I like design. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I, I was sketching in my room, like the designs of my bedroom back in the day, like I was, okay. I was that so early on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's always been a design and aesthetic has always been something that's been drawn to me. Mm-hmm. I've always been able to kind of see things in 3D. You know, it took me a long time to realize I used to joke. So um, whenever we go to my nan and granddaddy's house, like to eat, you know, you would they're Southern, right? Make a big meal. They had a garden. And then you'd always put the leftovers away because it would be lunch or some people would take it right. home or however it was. Mm-hmm. And I could always put 
the leftovers in the perfect container. And I remember just being like, I have this useless superpower <laughs> that I always can know exactly Wait, how this okay. volume fits into this. And then will you, will you please come to my, I'm going away for a couple of weeks and I'm the worst packer. Will you come to my house and pack? I feel like you would do a perfect job with oh, the yeah. right amount, with the right amount of clothes and, and then oh, I'd be yeah. able to find everything. I don't totally. have that superpower. So go ahead. So you, you knew yeah, you had I this mean, little superpower and I agree. It is a superpower. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, that in organization is like, like I can fit exactly what needs to go and exactly oh. how it needs to go. And I was like, I have this useless superpower that like, mm -hmm. I don't know what I would use. And then I realized like much later, and like after I've been designing, after I've been working in commercial construction real estate for like 10, 15 years, I was like, oh, it's because I can see in 3D. I exactly. understand how space and, space and references. Yeah. I'm like, I have this ability to take something that's two-dimensional and make it three-dimensional and, and know exactly how it's going to feel through the space. Exactly. And first of all, I love that you know that's a superpower because my husband has that. He's an engineer <laughs> and he, yeah. I cannot see it. So he'll say, you know, can you see? I go, no, I can't see. It's like <laughs> one of our very first little tips when we first we were out of town and he wanted me to read a map and he goes, can't, can't and I can't read. I, I, I feel I'm a very intelligent person. I just there's I can't I can't visualize. Tell tell me to turn right and turn left. I'm good to go. Tell me yeah. that this desk will fit. I'll believe you. But don't ask me to see it in my head where you are someone that you could walk in a room, I'm guessing, and you yeah. already have it all in your head perfectly. Yeah. Oh, totally. that is a superpower. So you were able <laughs> well, to... And when I was a kid, I just thought I was really good at putting leftovers and things. And I didn't understand how that translated. And it took me a long time to be like, oh, wait, they're the same thing. But and I love, <laughs> here's what I want. Listen, I love that. So when you have something that you're really good at, even if it's a 10 or 12 years old, when you look back, it probably is the beginning of the message. Like, pay attention to this because this is probably going to lead to something really, really positive, which you finally kind of put the dots together and yeah. Yeah. And that's it. what I was going to say, like to anybody who's out there listening. I mean, I think that one of, if something comes super easy to you, mm -hmm. that is a lot of times we try to find what we're meant to do in life based on struggle and X, Y, Z, and some of the breadcrumbs to get us to creating our own unique magic in the world starts with the things that we can just do inherently, the things that we see, the way that we interact with people, the way that we say things, you know, stuff that even from a very young age, you just kind of got um, yeah. And it doesn't mean you still don't work hard at these things. Of course. It doesn't mean you don't study. It doesn't mean you don't like continue to improve yourself and really work on fine tuning your skill. But I guarantee you that if you were to even just ask five of your closest friends and family, coworkers, whomever, and say, what is it? What is something that I do that you mm -hmm. see that just seems like second nature that really brings value? And it could be like organizing a meeting. It could yep. be the way you, way you, you know, that time, it could be the way that you connect people together. Like there's so many things that don't have to be an actual manual task. Agreed. It can be intellectual. It can be the exactly. way that you, the way that you connect humans together. Like a lot of these things, you know, you just kind of do, and you don't really understand it until you're much, much later. Like, um, you know, I have I another one of my things that I just discovered recently, just to kind of put it, come full circle on that a little bit, is the fact that I um, have been told by other people that I have this ability to kind of transmute energy. Now that sounds super hippie, woo, woo, woo. And it is right. But to put that in a way, hey, that my listeners know I'm spiritual. I'm open to yeah. all things. So go ahead. Well, it, to put it in a way that doesn't like 
you know, put anyone off and can make that spiritual side, esoteric side of things a little bit more grounded. Mm-hmm. That simply means that I have an ability to go into a space and when shit is hitting the fans, he's mm-hmm. my language. No, that's okay. I have the ability to kind of assess and, and calm and diffuse the situation. Now, what that ability is, where it comes from, I have absolutely no idea, but it's something that I took for granted for a really long time mm-hmm. that most people could do. And then I realized that, you know, I'd step onto a project and things would be really chaotic. And then we'd figure it out and we get the team working again. And then I'd leave the project and then it would get a little chaotic again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, part of that is another superpower that I have. Let's hone that for good, not evil. Right. And like, let's always for good. Yeah. And let's understand that like, that is something that I can do. And that not even most importantly with that, it's not just about what I can do. It's about the fact that I need to understand that not everybody does that. So how can I help teach and train and take some of those skills and then help other people be better leaders, be better managers, be better at their job with something that just comes a little bit more naturally to me. And the same thing with your conversation about you and your husband, like, okay, he may be something that comes naturally to him. There are skills that you have, right? Which I have helped. It's naturally to him, right? Exactly. Complement each other. We do. Thank goodness. But, but I love, but it's the truth because when he, he's not the best uh, always communicator. I mean, he's come a long way because he's with me, but in terms of dealing with feelings and whatnot, and sometimes I'll have to give him a little coaching session. Like it might be helpful to say this or that, not not even to me, whether it be to extended family. Um, And he, and he listens where I like, and this just happened. So I'm laughing because I am going to California for two weeks and I'm in a ridiculous packer and I'm going to two different parts of California. I'm going to Palm Springs and then Orange County where there's about a 15 degree difference. And I just said so much stuff and it was, I, 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 and I've done this before. I said, you know what? I'm going to put my stuff out here, pack it up in a box for me. We're going to mail that out. Cause, it, and that's what we did just, but he, you know, he seals it perfectly. He knows what to put in and how to put it in. And for him. So when you're talking about he, we have an innate talent. So I do feel one of my, I don't know if it's a superpower, but I feel I'm a pretty good communicator. And I think just spiritually, I am a healer, hence why I became a therapist. And um, I think I have a message, hence why I'm doing this, that I hopefully can put out into the world for good, of course. But what you said before that I just wanted to really reiterate, and I've said this many times, is that it doesn't mean that just because it's your, I love this superpower, which now is what I'm going to tell my husband. He has one and I have one. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Uh, I love it because it's so positive you still have to work for it. So it's like when I've said before, you know, I've used this example many times is that if you want your book published, if you're a writer, you can pray about it. You can put out vision boards, all of which I've done, by the way, but you still have to sit down and write the book and you have to decide, okay, am I going to use a publisher? Am I going to do it myself? There's still work involved, but if you know inside, and this is what I'm hearing that you kind of have figured out and know, and I want to see what you're doing now with all of this. Um, you know, you're a creative soul, you know, you have creative in a artsy way, but also in a communication and energy way. This is mm-hmm. what you know, you're sound like you're getting to even know the energy part, even a little bit more solid. And you know, that part of what you want to do is to give back. It sounds like is to try Absolutely. to help others because to me, what good I feel. Um, and, and that's part of what I think hopefully listeners think or often think about is, I feel I have this, this talent, or I have a desire that I want to do something, but this is getting in the way and that's getting in the way. And how can I really do that? How can I monetize that? And 
what you're saying and what I've been saying for my whole life is you do you and do it with your most authentic heart and soul. And you will be surprised what comes back to you. So I'm guessing you guess. Okay. So I want to hear, so you finished design school, you worked in commercial real estate for the last 10 or I don't know how long, 10 or 15 years. And while you were doing that, did you feel you were on your, like, what was going on inside? Like, did you feel like, yes, this is my path or. Well, I'd love to talk. You did a perfect segue with the book. So I'd love to kind of take a pivot. And the fact that, so I got really good at design management, construction, all these things, right? You know, whenever it's like the the concept of whenever you do something for 10,000 hours, right? You become an expert at it. There's a lot of research so. on this, right? There's there's a lot of research on even why some of the most, you know, pioneer individuals of our time, Steve Jobs, like yep. Bill Gates, their history, any anyone. I love, I read, I, my husband yeah. just read Steve Jobs' book and it's like amazing. Go ahead. Yeah. And anyone who wants references, um, I highly suggest anything by Malcolm Gladwell. He talks a lot about this in, in his books as well. And the thing that I find when people are, when individuals have gone down a path and then they say, I have this calling to do something else. One of the things that discourages them the most is when they start to pivot to do something else, it's hard. Yes. And the reason why it's really, really hard and really, really difficult is because, especially if you're in your 30s, in your 40s, in your yes. 50s, et cetera, as you have already put in that 10,000 hours, maybe even tenfold at something. So you're at a point where something is second nature, which is probably part of the reason why you're bored or you're like, hey, I want to do something else. Mm-hmm. And when you go to start again, you forget what it's like to be you as an every one of us forgets what it's like to have that beginner mind and to start from scratch where we're teaching ourselves how to do something new and get out of your comfort zone. Phil, I don't know if anyone's seen the documentary. If you saw Stutz uh, with Jonah Hill, Phil Stutz is an unbelievable guy um, who believes he has a book called The Tools. And it's a documentary on Netflix that I really recommend um, if you're into self-help and whatever happens to star Jonah Hill. But that to me is a sidebar of the actual thing. Um, But one of the first things he talks about in terms of change is getting out of your comfort zone. So yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, and, and exactly. And it's that. So I had this calling to, um, when I was in New York, I was a stressed out New York executive, right? Like planes, trains, and automobiles all the time, working 80, 90 hours a week. Oh. Everyone was talking about meditation. I couldn't figure out how to do it to save the life of me. And I went to this one event where somebody grounded this in the room with a Kundalini meditation. I quite literally turned to my girlfriend who I dragged with me as one does and said, <laughs> holy shit, I just just meditated for the first time. What is this magic and how do I get more of it? And I, I started to, it's Kundalini meditation. Okay, so I meditate, but I don't, I'm not familiar with that, but go ahead. Yeah. So Kundalini meditation is Kundalini in general is one of the yoga lineages, which okay. if anybody doesn't know, there's multiple, just yeah. like Vinyasa is just one type of, of yoga. There's all sorts of okay. other ones. Um, if you've gone to most yoga classes in the States, you're probably gone to like a vinyasa flow class. Okay. And that's what a lot know. of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. It's you wouldn't, you wouldn't know, but if it's that flowy kind of thing and nobody tells okay. you the name of it, it's going to be vinyasa. So okay. um, you go with Kundalini. It uses all of the different sciences from mm-hmm. mantras to mudras, to kriyas, to the way that you sit, all of the, all of these different components that are, the actual science of yoga, it does them all at the same time with a very specific intention. Now we could go down the rabbit hole of that, but if you're really interested, I highly suggest you buy my book, 
Kundalini Yoga Demystified. Okay, um, so you wrote a book. You you, you so from yeah. never meditating, you had this experience. It touched you. It I didn't guess. just touch me and change my life to it the point changed where your life. Wow. Yeah. Okay. To the point where I was working with predominantly men in three piece suits and very high pressure profile jobs and the individuals that I work with started coming up to me and saying, Aaron, something is different. What is going on? What's different about you? The people started noticing. Absolutely. My whole being changed, my whole energy changed to the point where I was like, I finally figured out how to meditate. They're like, amazing. What do I do? Is <laughs> there I'm always recommending my clients to meditate and they can't get there. So now I'm, I'm going to look, look into this one to see maybe yeah. this will, uh, I'll find it good and I can pass it along. Absolutely. And, and the, the key is, is like, I, I joke that Kundalini is the gateway drug to meditation. And why this okay. is, is because with a three minute Kundalini meditation, you can literally drop into that meditative state. And half of that is just the barrier to entry. If you have never experienced what it feels like to get into the meditative state, once you do, you're like, oh, that's it. It's that's like, what everybody's talking about. That's supposed to be yeah. so healing and helpful and calming and reduce anxiety yeah. and stress and physical ailments. Aha. Exactly. You, you say in three minutes. Absolutely. There's well, everybody's of- got three minutes. So I'm going to tell everybody, let's try this. I'm going to try it before my next uh, podcast. Exactly. And and the short version of how I got to be an author was quite literally, right. you know, everyone was asking me about this. I've always wanted to write. I've always been an author in my heart. I've always known I was m- meant to write multiple books in my lifetime. It's just one of those innate drives that, that has you have felt been- on your inside. Always from, I can't even remember a time when I haven't felt that way. And I love that you listen. I love that you listen to these messages, but go ahead. Well, it kind of, I think the universe kind of pushes you up a cliff so that you don't have a choice, right? Like there gets, if you're really meant to do something in your life, the universe will make you so uncomfortable that you have no choice but to move. And not only so uncomfortable, it will literally start taking the creature comfort away from your life. It's like relationships, job financial security, emotional security, physical security, all of that will start to remove until you course correct to the path that you're meant to be on. Right. So first of all, I love what you're saying because I totally agree. And Mm -hmm. so like when people say I'm so miserable in my job, but I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're making six figures and then they lose their life savings or they, they get fired from the job and they go, well, now what? And I go, well, you've always wanted to do this. So maybe now's the time that you do that. And quit exactly. worrying about the other stuff because literally the thing that you say is the most important. And again, I believe in abundance and money and comfort and whatnot. But all, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, the universe is going to slap you around a little bit to say, hey, hey, I believe in you and you're here for a purpose and mm-hmm. you're not doing it. So come on. So but you're listening. So you have this in your soul, too, about you're a very interesting person. You have like a lot of different purposes <laughs> going on here, but you listen to them. So you had this feeling to write, then you found this Kundalini. Am I saying it right? Yep, exactly. Kundalini meditation. And so you sat down and you just like wrote a book or like, no, like I literally left corporate America. I oh, went so to you India. did. You left. So you said yeah, that was I went, I went to India to study. Um, wow. Quite literally to learn from the source. I was like, a, you know, I'm very, very interested in the science behind it, um, mm-hmm. honoring the lineages, honoring the traditions. I love, you know, the, I love, you know, the way that we've transmuted all of this shirt in the States, but let's be honest. Um, it's got a Westernized feel to it. And yes. I really wanted to 
um, honor the tradition and honor the individuals um, who have practice and Mm -hmm. and their culture and Mm -hmm. really be present in what you know, from the source, what it's meant to be and make sure that anything that I wrote trans transferred and anything that I was going to share with the world was in the, I don't want to say the most pure form, but in the most uh, traditional form that I could. And, and, uh, and honor, honor what the, you know, the history of it. But here's the other thing I love from what you're saying, because I'm talking to you. And mm-hmm. the thing about what I'm going to say now is that the thing about being spiritual and I've had many people say, like, I feel my feet are on the ground and that's how I feel about you from yeah. just knowing you this little bit of time that yeah. it doesn't mean you have to be, woo, you know, whatever. Um, there is, we are human. I feel, and I've said this many times before, we're, we're, we're souls having a human experience. Absolutely. So we're supposed to grow, but we're all supposed to be here on earth. So you don't have to go so far off. There are people and and I've met them. One of my one of my funniest stories is um, my sister's on the spiritual path and I have another friend. And, you know, I have to get so many CEUs to keep my license as a therapist. So I'll never forget. I went and I I go to these spiritual workshops sometimes that have CEUs just because I find them interesting. And if I can get my CEUs under control, those continuing education credits. And I remember walking into one a long time ago and and I'm not trying to be rude, but somebody had like a funny white hat on. Someone else had their hair down to their knees. Someone it was winter. Someone else is wearing sandals. So and I'm thinking I'm not trying to be judgy, but maybe just a little bit. But that's one facet is all I'm trying to say is that you can still do all the things that you want to do. And if that's your way, that's fine, too. I'm not saying it can't be, but I just want to know that mainstream people to me, like me, and I feel like you, whatever that might, without being, I feel like I am being judgy right now. And that's not, that's not how I mean to come off. But do you hear what I'm saying? Is that we, we, we can go there. You can go there and still have your feet on the ground. That's really what I'm trying to say. Well, I look at all of this stuff as, as tools in our, in our toolkit and you can mm-hmm. call it your spiritual toolkit, your wellness toolbox, you yep. know, your, your mindfulness backpack, whatever resonates with you. And, you know, in the Kundalini lineage, um, there's a lot of people who wear turbans, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of wearing white. And I I look at all of that as like, if that is a tool that aids your practice, great. Embrace it, right? If that love that. Get, if that helps you get to your meditative state, if that if that helps connect you to your teacher, anything and everything that, you know, I talk a lot about it in the book and the fact that like, you know, a lot of um the individuals in the States who brought Kundalini to the U S mm-hmm. uh, one of the main guy, this guy by the name of Yogi Bhajan, um, who is one of these individuals that came under a lot of controversy, the same way Bikram did later, later. in. to be honest, I, when I wrote my book, I tuned, I didn't learn that lineage. That wasn't the way that, that I learned it, but I know it a lot from the States and I tuned anyone who was doing anything with Kundalini out the entire time I was writing my book. I didn't take another class. Long, I didn't long, listen to the news. Ago, yeah. How long did you write? How it long took me, it came out this past fall and oh. I, I wrote it for a good year and a half, which okay. was right when all of the sexual harassment assault stuff was coming out about. Wow. I didn't know any of it. I didn't know a single thing. And my book doesn't specifically talk about that lineage of it. It talks about like what I was taught was called traditional Kundalini. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to, that word alone is going to be polarizing for somebody. Cause they're going to mm-hmm. be like, well, if one's traditional, something else has to be quote unquote other. Mm-hmm. And I, and I phrase it that way. And 
for to intentionally bring uh, awareness to the fact that it's not meant to be polarizing. That was just right. what, um, as individuals who spoke English as a second language, when they were teaching it to those of us mm-hmm. who spoke English, the word that they used was traditional. And, okay. you know, I, I talk about it in my book about, you know, like the turbans and the white and all this stuff and to the fact that like, if we actually think about all the other different lineages of any form of religion and spirituality, you know, the Pope has a headdress, people mm-hmm. wear kippahs and Judaism, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like we've got burqas, we've got all these things, like it depending, everyone's got their own version of something, no matter who, no matter their, their upbringing the, or their culture of origin, right? Mm-hmm. Their country of origin, their religion yep. of origin. There's always these things that quote unquote enhance our practice. And mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm the type of person that you do you whatever you need to get you there first of all first of all I love that now first of all I think it's hysterical that I gave an example that I'm feeling bad about right now (laughs) I am I'm feeling horrible but I'm gonna leave it in because I feel so horrible about it because I feel it was like so not like but it's representative of again this was 30 years ago where I was at that time and how how I felt particularly at that time and that you are now kind of course correction what I said in the most lovely nice way which is really don't stop that in a nice way to Janice and to all like whatever your thing is if it's a white hat if it's long hair if it's sandals in winter who gives a crap really do you to get on your right path so I appreciate that you said that in the most lovely, nice way, because I was I literally feeling like, oh, I can't believe I said that I'm going to no, edit that I out, but I'm not going so, to now. It's so important, though, to talk about, though, because like, I mean, I was I mean, we talked about at the beginning that I was raised in a place right. that's quite literally black and white. Yes. It would be completely absurd to think that yep. some of that did not seep into me I subconsciously from a very young age. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I happened to be lucky in the aspect that I had I was not as aware uh at mm-hmm. a young age of kind of um the the religious, you know, uh yes. I'm making impact, a, impact or yeah. The, because of the fact that like my own awareness to any religion outside of the one that I was raised in was a mm-hmm. really beautiful, lovely experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that for me, maybe because of that, all of the acceptance of anybody's view mm-hmm. of spirituality comes a little bit easier, but that doesn't mean that I don't have so many ingrained biases and like racism and other crap that was just programmed into me at a very young age that I'm constantly unwinding. And for me, the ability to look at it from that different perspective of someone who's traveled the world a lot as well and be like, oh, like somebody else wears a headdress or like, oh, like Mm -hmm. I didn't know that it was part of the religion not to cut their hair. And I didn't know that this, that you do it, you do it. What I love is that you do it from a curious standpoint of view yeah. without judgment and full acceptance. OK, so before we wrap up here, because this is oh, so yeah, fascinating. Yeah. I, no, no, I feel like I could talk to you for like three hours. <laughs> um, so right now, like yeah. what when you think about at this moment, um, wh- what do you feel like your purpose is and and how are you and, and do you have any w- wise words to share with to someone else who's like struggling like they don't know? So first about yeah. you, like what what are you kind of doing right now? And. Do you love it? And what's happening with with Aaron and Elizabeth? Yes. <laughs> so I've relocated to the Bay Area, which I'm really excited about. Um, this part of the world feels really wonderful to me. There's okay. the 
there's this energy of the city with this grounding of the mountains. And mm-hmm. I you love know, San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right outside of the city um, in East, like Oakland, Berkeley area. And mm-hmm. there's just this like beauty of the thickness and the richness of the earth. And people are still, you know, I'm right next to a university where people's ideas and, you know, things are still you're trying still, to You're still in Berkeley hippie land. Yeah, go ahead. Or yeah, am, I, exactly, am I dating right? myself? But yeah. Totally. Like there's a lot of that, but there's a lot of nature. There's a lot of earth. Like this part of the world feels really lovely to me. But what I do is I'd step back into the world of corporate America. And Mm -hmm. while I do that, though, I take all these wellness and mindfulness techniques and I bring them with me, you know, over the pandemic, I also went back to get my master's in organizational leadership. I'm really, I'm really fascinated about how we take these mindfulness techniques, these wellness things, how we take the hippie woo woo and we bring it to people who everybody needs this. Everybody, everybody, everybody's got to pay their bills. Everybody needs to do Mm -hmm. all like we're souls having a human experience. And to your point, we chose, I think when we start to go down the different paths of life, it's important to remember that we chose to be in this incarnation and we chose to have this human experience, which means we, we, we keep our feet on the ground, but we still keep our hearts and minds open. And while we do, we can incorporate all of these things that feel yummy and true. If it's spirituality, if it's music, if it's religion, like whatever it is that gives you that inner warmth, we can start to bring that into all facets of our Mm -hmm. life and really create community um, where we are in our neighborhoods and and Mm -hmm. virtually and all these different places. And, you know, I have to say that for anybody who's trying to do something new and different, yes, you know, I I got a book deal. Great. Awesome. I thought it was then to be, I was so excited, right? Like, yay, got a book deal. But when I went back and read my book proposal, I, after I'd written the book, I was like, how the hell did anybody give me a book deal? Like this thing is terrible. And not only is this thing terrible, I worked on this for over six months and it's awful. And the Mm -hmm. same thing with my book, you read the first couple of chapters they're like, okay, let's be honest. I'm a first time author. But when I get to the end, it's like, oh, I'm in a flow. Got mm-hmm. it. And I was like, oh, that makes total sense. You could read that like this, like good to go. And I'm like, gosh, it is such a testament of the work and the day in and the exactly. day out. And then finally, and when you write a book, another thing for your for your individuals that can translate into anything, you essentially write a book three to four times before it gets published. Oh. Because if I told you, you know, I, I've written three books, two are published or yeah. actually three, three are published, but, and then I wrote a fourth book that's, I'm not publishing, but, um, but you have no idea. Matter of fact, the first book I wrote, um, I wrote on an alt, like a very first kind of computer. Cause this is like whatever, 35, whatever years ago. And I erased chapter like five and I had to rewrite the whole, ch- I was like screaming. I didn't know how to get it back. And then when I rewrote <laughs> it, it was Wait so back. much better. I was annoyed as divine intervention. That's what I'm saying. It was, it was like, I, I literally was crying, crying. Cause it was, it was so much work to write this particular chapter. And then I raced it. And I, I, I remember I called my son over who was better at computers, even though he didn't know that much either. He was like, maybe, I don't know, 16. And I go, can you find it on the, com-? no. So I had to rewrite it. So, yeah. So you, you can't, you can't run away from the work or, or a stumbling block and to trust that if you stay in sync with what your purpose is, it's going to flow. And your next book, whatever that is, is going to be that much better. Do you already have an idea for the next book? 
Oh yeah, I have like six. Okay. I have so many. I'll have so to keep me posted. I'm so excited to finally be moved into my place because I can just feel the, the creative energy going. Like there's something about this part of the world that just is like healing my heart at the moment. And, and, you know, it's just, it's important to, to bring forward that like the person you were today is different than the person you were yesterday. Like even our conversation that we were just having, like who you were 10 years ago, doesn't mean that you don't get to pivot and change and learn and grow. And Thank you. Cause when I said all that, I was, it was like 30 years ago. So I'd like to think I'm not as judgy anymore, but I still feel bad that I said that. Uh, I, no, you, you were, you, I was a different person. Then. You exactly. were a different person and you I had was. an upbringing that gave you unconscious yes. bias. And that's where you were at that moment in time. I and was. you have pivoted 10,000 degrees in a different I have. direction. I, hey, I'm yes. going to send you a check. No, <laughs> no thank you. No, that was very, very good. All right. So your, your main advice is what I hear you saying is listen to your heart and soul. Even if you think what your superpower is, is like, really, is that big of a deal? It actually is a big deal. And to honor that and to be able to do what you did, leave corporate America, if that's what your calling was, come back and do what's in your heart and soul, which was writing a book and and now helping others on your path of what you see. Because like you said, it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, a doctor, a president, a CEO of a company, we all need inner peace and wellness and calm. And that is not, I don't believe, even though we've come a long way, sold very much as back you know, in terms of really prioritized in America um, at all and the whole Western culture. It's just not. And and really pay attention to what you think you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. and what you're actually doing. Because I mean, I literally like sold my house I had mm-hmm. to sell my Peloton at one point to pay my mortgage one month, yep. which, and then I sold like any nice purse or anything of value that I had right. to also pay my mortgage the next month. Eventually I like sold my home. I mean, I went down the rabbit hole. I was like, look, there is something in my soul telling me that this is it. And I yep. can't go back. Right. And I and you think have to be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And even as important, finding tools in your toolkit to sit in the moment of indecision because if it's not a hell yes it's a no so you've Mm -hmm. got to find ways to sit still in in your presence so that you can hear what the next aligned step is and and just two things that I, I really believe in is I stopped saying their next right step a long time ago because I don't believe that there is a right or wrong I believe we make the best decision that we can in the moment with the tools and information we have and we yep. pivot and that's the, the best aligned action at that moment. And then we learn and we grow and then we realize that maybe that isn't in alignment anymore. And then we pivot again and really finding ways to, instead of just reacting to make something happen, because we're in so much discomfort mm-hmm. finding if you, if anyone can focus on in those moments of discomfort, sitting with that discomfort, yes. I, I say that if, if praying is talking to God, meditation is listening for the answer. Mm-hmm. And the answer, so, and the other thing I just add on to that, the answer, if you wait and you can sit, will always come. And, and it, it might come from a yeah. friend. It might come from a show you're all of a sudden just watching. Because the a quote song? that I have, you might think it's coincidental. Every I end every podcast with a quote. And I just scroll quotes and until I pick one that seems like, yeah, this might be good. So this is the quote that I picked. I feel like you had one more thing to say before I say my quote. Uh, yeah. oh, oh, good. No, the only thing I was going to say is so just to be clear is that sitting and waiting for 
that that divine intervention to come doesn't mean that you're not doing action. So just to be clear, I'm in no way, shape or form suggesting that if you're in discomfort, you just sit and don't do anything. I'm saying learning how to sit, like engaging our emotional intelligence, our EQ, in order to be able to sit in that discomfort while we're still going about our day, while we're still paying our bills, while we're doing all the things. While we're still doing our job, even right. Even if it's a job we're not loving right now and we haven't done our pivot yet. I love that. I don't know if you ever watch friends, but they have a really hysterical episode where they have to pivot, putting this couch up. And so the word, every time I hear the word pivot, I see that scene, but um, I love it in this, in this, uh, conversation, this kind of, um, yeah. So yeah, you have yeah. to be able to pivot and it sounds like you've done a lot of pivoting and you're like amazing. Well, I mean, Great. I think that that's just, it doesn't just because you're waiting to hear the answer. doesn't mean you don't dip your toe and try something and right. then see if that's a hell yes or hell no. And then maybe you dip your toe into something else and see if mm-hmm. that's a hell yes and hell no. So I'm, I just want to be super clear that I'm not talking about sitting and doing nothing. I, I know I'm what talking you're about not making like the big jump right. to quit your job and do all this thing. No, just you have you want something to be different. Right. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Aaron, thank you so much. This was, so, uh, Oh, like you, I feel I could be your girlfriend. Um, this was, I, <laughs> so I mean, we're on the same page. Um, you're, and you're like amazing. All right. So just, to, I always wrap up with the, a quote and here's the one that I have waiting. So it's not like I did this while I was talking to whenever you become anxious or stressed, outer purpose has taken over Mm. and you lost sight of your inner purpose. Mm. You have forgotten that your state of conscious is in the now is what's primary. All else is secondary. Mm. Okay. And that's by uh, Eckhart Tolle. So um, he has some, uh, always has some interesting things to say. Some other things, I don't know, but mostly he has interesting things, but I like (laughs) that one. Um, I like that one. I digress. I editorialize. But so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being here and meeting and talking to us. Great conversation. Um, yeah, I hopefully the listeners felt that way, too. Um, so for today, that's it. This is Janice Alpert. Um, hoping that you're doing your purpose and finding it and maybe even doing it on purpose. And maybe you have to pivot until next time. Bye bye.